eternally maneuvered through the fantastical world of Keyforge, discussing lore, rules, strategies, decks, organized play, and of course, the Nordic Keyforge League. In the heart of the forest, under the full moon, the Dusk Witches are readying any glimmer they can find, while the low dawn is cracking through as old Paddy finds his spot on the lake. Look what I found! This is the Nordic Keyforge podcast. Welcome everyone and welcome the only other person that is here with me. Uh, I am Zaramis and this is... Uh, I'm Hydrophilic Attack. Uh, how are you, Zaramis? I'm doing great. Um, it's good to be here again after a bit of busy weeks behind me and a bit of absence. I think that this is just what I need to get hyped about the uh, Keyforge again. So that's been a little bit of a slump. What about you? How are you doing? I'm good. Uh, had a bit of a stressful work day at work. Uh, I mentioned before I had a lull when we talked before, but that was yesterday. But today, <laughs> today was very stressful. Mm. It uh, sometimes things change quickly. Yeah. So, uh, but apart from uh, busy at work, how has your uh, Keyforge week been? Or weeks, maybe. I don't know. Um, so, in the latest week, the biggest thing we did in the Swedish community was we had a big Battle of the Nations event organized by Kloggen. Uh, and uh, it was between Sweden and Finland. So, an American organized the yeah. Battle of Nations between Sweden and Finland. Do tell me about this story because I know very little and uh, it sounds interesting. Yeah, so he had previously organized the Battle of Nations between the United States and Canada. And uh, he came onto our server and said uh, he liked the logo we had. <laughs> and he liked, uh, I think he heard about it from the podcast. And uh, he said, yeah, I want to organize something for you. And the most important point for him was that he wanted to give us nice prices. Uh, so he designed himself uh, logos for Team Sweden and Team Finland. Wow. Uh, based on, he set up a Google form where we could tell some information about Sweden and Finland. And he used that to make, to make these logos. For Sweden, it was an elk. Uh, and for Finland, uh, an ice bear. Um, and uh, these are also going to be the prizes. So for the team that won, we got the full colorized playing mats with our team's logo. And the second awesome. place team gets also a playing mat, but in black and white with their logo. And for our North American listeners who aren't as familiar with the Swedish lingo about animals here, that is a moose and a polar bear for you. Yeah. Um, so then we had this event. It was decided to be last weekend. Uh, and the format was in each team, every player would select one deck uh, and all five sets needed to be represented. So one deck from each set. And then each player would play one game uh, against someone on the other team. It could be the same set or between set you didn't know before you started. And then after the first five games had been played and played and everyone had played one game each, uh, the team that would win would be the team that was first to five wins. And at that point, they could select any of their players that had already played to go again. But you could choose who. So wait, so it was a best of nine? Yeah. 
Okay. But it would end at five. Yeah. Yeah. So you and then probably you would want to. Well, part of it was probably based on uh, availability, but probably you would be more likely to take winning decks to go again for the final four games. So you could end the game before going all nine games. Yeah, yeah. But that's the best of best of matches work like that. Yeah. Uh, and it was a bit uh, interesting because there was a discussion about how to select the decks for the event. Uh, first, we discussed whether we could take only decks from our own collection or whether we could take decks from anyone in the team. And then Clogin came in and said, no, you can take any deck from anywhere. Uh, so that meant you could net deck, basically. Uh, and he also said that uh, for mass mutation, you could distribute pips however you want. Like oh, you... no, no, clog in, don't do it. <laughs> we know where this goes. <laughs> yeah, that part was not so good, but I enjoyed the other parts, which was finding decks online. I thought that was very fun, actually. But in the end, the two teams approached this differently. In Team Sweden, four people found decks online and just one played a deck from their own collection. And in Finland, only two players found decks online. And the three other players each took a deck from team collection. I mean, his decks are from the entire world, more or less. Yes, but, uh... they are. I made that point in, in the discussion on the Discord server that to some extent it doesn't really tell us whether whether it's better to... The results don't really tell us whether it whether net decking is better or not because he bought them secondhand, so it's a kind of net decking only he paid for it as well. But not with unlimited money as it... It basically is when you can choose from any deck at all, and also unlimited availability. Yeah. And uh, did it go as expected that the fully freely chosen net decks crushed? For the owned decks uh, that people owned themselves, um, I think uh, only one one of them won over a, a freely chosen deck. I see here in the statistics. Yeah. And that was the Jenka deck that did that. Uh, otherwise, the freely chosen decks did better. Uh, I think they're all the decks that they owned themselves. Uh, they got to win. They got to win with their Jenka deck against our Jenka deck, uh, which was owned versus owned. Um, Let's not go in, into too much specifics of the matches and so on, but but you could say that in a in a way it wasn't really Sweden versus Finland, but it was the entire world versus Finland to some extent, maybe. Uh, and piloted by a couple of Swedes, so we just took the best from everything and then beat poor Finland with it. It's not uh, the right understanding of this event. Um, to some extent, I guess, but, uh, but Finland is used to being invaded by enormous, dangerous international countries so yeah but i mean these were the rules and we thought if we don't take decks from online then they, they will and then they did it <laughs> so <laughs> yeah uh but in any case i i thought it was very fun to go online and find the deck so i i was assigned the world's collide spot and i had lots of different ideas for what i wanted first i considered i wanted the lockout deck so i tried to look for decks with snag and ways to make my opponent's creatures elusive and and skirmish uh, and then protect snag behind taunt 
so I could lock them out permanently with Snag. A very specific game plan. I found a deck with that that also had uh, the combo of Golden Spiral and Cincinnatus Rex, so quite a good deck. And the deck was pretty good, but it was not good for the reason I wanted it to be good. It was good for <laughs> the Cincinnatus Rex combo. But what, what did you end up with in the end? In the end, I decided I don't go for a, for a specific combo. I looked for decks with high efficiency. I searched for decks over uh, 20 efficiency, and I wanted a little bit of bounce in case they had Saurians, and I wanted a little bit of artifact control. Uh, and basically, I test- tested a few decks like this. I went and tested against a player who is known on Discord as uh, JFK Ziegler. Uh, mm-hmm. I went to the Sanctimonious server and asked if anyone wanted to help me test, and he he graciously helped me out for several for several hours. And in the end, the deck I least believed in of the ones I had looked at was the one I liked the best. Uh, that's that's really great, and actually a a, a pretty uh, like a good thing about Keyforge is that it's turned out that way for me several times as well in the past. Yeah. Um, but let me uh, let me just check then. First, I have to bring in a historical anecdote here. With Mr. K-pop's decks being the ones chosen, you could say that this was a little bit like Mannerheim being a Russian general, but then going to defend Finland with only the Finnish resources against uh, the <laughs> giant uh, invading power. But uh, apart from that... Which uh, is Sweden. Short, Yes, <laughs> Sweden using international international uh, aid, but was it a good event? Was it fun? Like uh, without the technical details about decks, like how 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 was the was it playing in this kind of nation battle? I had a lot of fun. Uh, we had uh, we had a group chat going for the, for our team where we discussed deck choices and uh, we didn't discuss tactics so much during the games but we discussed it after like could could we have done this different or was this a good play and so on um and uh, the games were really good all the games were good uh like uh, i may write a, a an article summarizing the games or something i have some notes from all of the games uh, because almost all of the games had interesting plays there was only one blowout game uh, all the other ones were tight um, yeah, I suggest making a written post about this for the NKFL page because uh, I've found that the tournament reports and game reports are usually best in writing rather yeah. than, than yeah. Uh, speech. Yeah, so I'm, I'm considering that. Uh, but one thing I want to bring up is how similar the deck choices were, even though both for, for, for Kota, both teams chose a super racing deck with two or three mothers and uh, one had shadows and the other one uh, had untamed for the race, but otherwise they were very similar. Uh, No, sorry, both had shadows, but basically they were, but one had this for control and the other one had untamed for more burst. All right. For for Age of Ascension, both decks were Jenka decks. For Worlds Collide, both decks were were the same houses, this Logos and Star Alliance. So both me and Mr. K-Pop wanted high efficiency with some disruption. Uh, his deck had three stealth modes, for example, which was annoying <laughs> to play against. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, 
And then for the dark tidings and mass mutation, it was a bit more different. And here, the Swedish team, much more than the Finnish team, ended up trying to game the enhancement pips uh, in their deck choice. Uh, and surprisingly, both the decks that did that uh, lost. So the Swedish dark tidings and mass mutation decks lost. I love it. I love it. Crush the enhancement uh, meta. So it was super funny. In Sysox deck, we put five draw pips on an explorer over, and then we wanted to bounce it with transporter platform so we could draw 10 that turn. But it didn't work. No, because it was this card that we put all our hopes and dreams on. It was the very bottom card of the deck. Wonderful. <laughs> and you had no other draw pips that could help you draw into it either. Yes. So it was sort of like karmic justice to some extent. Glorious, glorious. <laughs> All right, uh, but but you had fun. Yeah, it was super fun. So if if uh, clogging comes comes into your community and uh, offers to do this for you, then jump at this chance. It's a super good time. Uh, That's uh, great to hear. Uh, have you played any league games? Just a short summary of your other Keyforge uh, week. I didn't play any league games. Uh, well, not in the Nordic league. I played one in the. Uh, in the Time Shapers League, which was 1 1, so that was fine. Uh, well, my Keyforge week uh, was a little bit strange. I have played two of the NKFL Cup games, both of them yesterday. So uh, it was last week's Cup game and then the next week's Cup game, and they both happened on the same day. Uh, I won both of them. My deck choice for the cup, and the cup is just basically a short group play and then a double elimination tournament that we run on the side of the league. We It's a double elimination from the start. Oh, was it last cup that was a yeah, group yeah. Play? yeah, yeah, it was a summer cup, yeah. but otherwise it's uh, double elimination. Yeah, they are, they're very basic tournament structures that we have as a little bit of extra Keyforge play during the leagues, and the league is what we talk about the most here on the podcast. But in the cup... Uh, we picked two, the rules were that we would pick two decks with a house uh, underneath uh, or beneath 15 in SAS, with a SAS scoring system. And I picked one really crappy one that I lost with immediately, mm, but it was too. fun. <laughs> uh, but then I picked uh, the second deck, and I've heard that I am destined to face you, Hydro, soon enough. Well, uh, I have one more game, and it could be tricky. So be- before I would face you, so. But yeah, my, I have crushed my way through the bottom bracket because my deck has eighteen creature control. It has two Fangtooth Caverns, two Berserker Slams, uh, Brend the Fanatic. It has only I, I basically only play Pips and Brend, and everything dies all the time. There's no trickery. No board can stay on for more than like one second. And then it dies, and it has 16 pips and some steel. So probably your deck is favored if we were to meet, uh, because I have fewer pips, otherwise, and I want to have a board. But in some other ways, it's very similar. How many creature control did you say you had again? It has 18 C, but it has a very very good creature control. It has like a Be- because mine has 20 C. Just wanted to say that mine is a bit higher. <laughs> but it well, will be way that, that is only good for me yes it is <laughs> I know <laughs> but I want to brag about the deck a bit anyway <laughs> but yes it is good for you <laughs> feel uh, free to clean the board <laughs> for me if you want to anyway so 
So, but that was a, a deliberate choice by me. I I wanted to bring a deck that because I thought we would get a lot of uh, Worlds Collide Brobnar. I thought we would get quite a lot of board decks because they. Um, I just think that many of our best decks don't have the weak houses like that, and the the sets that often have these houses under fifteen are Worlds Collide, and in some cases, Kota or AOA, and not so much Mass Mutation. So. Uh, and and those, uh, especially uh, Worlds Collide and AOA, are very weak against like heavy heavy creature control. And uh, and like I predicted, I've been mostly been facing Kota and Worlds Collide, and they've been usually creature based. Um, so yeah, it's it's been very uh, successful so far. So I've had a I've had a great week. I've also won all my. League games in the NKFL. I have two losses and uh, uh, seven wins. Uh, unfortunately, our dear co-host Lunus, Mr. K-Pop, uh, has decided that he needed a break for this uh, league, uh, so he has stepped out. But I got to win 3-0 before he did, so <laughs> I will pat myself a little bit on the back because he's a great player and his decks, as we have talked about many times here on the podcast, are terrifying. Yeah, he, he, he has a habit of buying decks in Chinese language. Uh, so that was one thing I wanted to mention from the Battle of the Nations, that my deck was Chinese language, just because that was a, an important part why I chose it. I wanted to beat Linus with a Chinese language deck. <laughs> so Yeah, but uh, this actually brings us on to our next uh, section, and it is the League Update. Yes, so for the league update, Saramis uh, will start by going through the diamond, uh, platinum, and gold divisions. Yes, so uh, as you all know, of course, because you're faithful listeners to the Nordic Keyforge podcast, the league system works in the several divisions, where diamond division is the highest one. And like we have spoken about a little bit before, in the diamond, we had a vote, or we had a vote in every division on who people thought would win. And uh, my friends, I still withhold, uh, gambled the system and voted for me to psych me out. But uh, in the diamond division, I am doing well, like I just mentioned. So me and Sizox, the league organizer himself, are both at 7-2. and two. Then we have an extremely tight field after that with... Five four five four five four four five in the next uh, four individuals, and these are the six top spots. All get to stay in diamond, and the bottom two gets to move down. So uh, the only one after Mr. K-pop decided to step out that is risk of uh, losing his spot right now is uh, Gungnir, my next opponent with three and six. So it's, uh, it's still very, very open in Diamond Division. There are no like breakout leaders or anything like that. And that is to be expected in such a like the highest division where a lot of good decks are competing. But Sysox has definitely made a mark with 11 in key difference, which is extremely good with 7 and 2 in games. Yeah. Looking down at uh, Platinum Division, we see a remarkably similar... Uh, look for, as the diamond division we have algernon uh, at seven and two caspian dk our danish uh, frequent player at uh, seven and two 
and then 5-4, Have we heard that before? <laughs> so the five fours are TV shop, Amritaka, irrelevant ID, and then Vuk at four and five with Jali Falun and Kak Monstret in Swedish, uh, risking uh, to be a drop down. And just as in Diamond Division, our leading player, Algernonor, has 11 key difference. So, but also seven and two. There's no huge victories. A lot of upsets can still happen. Uh, in gold division, however, we have some very, very clear statistics. Uh, Codwag, who uh, joined, rejoined or, or uh, has been in the community for a long time. He joined the League two uh, seasons ago, and he has been crushing the opposition since then. He's at nine and zero with 14 key difference in gold division, followed by our previous diamond player, and, uh, and then also previous Platinum player, GPVG, uh, who did an all Dark Tidings light up last season, which could be the explanation why he got put down to gold. Uh, he's at 7-2. and two. And then we have uh, a couple of players at 5-4 and a lot of players at 3-6. So that's uh, the summary. The two highest divisions very tight and the gold division having a clear leader in Codwag. Yes, um, so I will move on to the Silver Division, and the Silver Division has Slow Aaron doing, not going slowly at all, but dominating at eight wins and one loss. But uh, also the captain, our podcast host friend, is doing well as well. He has played one more match, uh, so he has twelve games total, and he is at eight against four, and then. In third place is another player with 12 games already at 6-6. And then after that is... And that was John the King. And then in fourth place, Yusavu with 5-4. And fifth place, Bone Smacker at 4-5. And then a few players at 3-6 and 2-7. All right. For the Bronze Division, uh, Bronze Division A... We have it's not the international division, the one with all the new international players. No, well, uh, maybe there are some. I don't know who is international and who is not, but I think there are more of them in the B one. Uh, A have more of the Nordic ones, uh, and in that division, uh, Sanderseb is doing very well with eight wins, one loss, and uh, that's something he achieved every week in the bronze division. One player is having a walkover. Uh, but uh, he has not had a walkover yet and he still has this very good record 8 against 1 and then he's followed by uh, Shub at 7-5 so he has Shub has more games played uh, but then spots 3 to 5 are 3 players with a record of 6 against 3 so it's all Sanderseb is doing very well but Others are doing quite well as well, and it's quite tight in spots three to five. For Bronze B, which is where we do have, uh, yeah, uh, some uh, internationally known players that just joined the league with some super good decks, super strong decks. I think the SAS average is almost the same level as in the Diamond League. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, 
in the lead there we have Pinata at eight wins and one loss. And though he had his walkover round already, so in terms of games played, it's five versus one. Uh, second place is shared between Tuvac 4X and Aurore, uh, both at seven five. Uh, though, and both of them have had their uh, walkover match, so they are exactly shared uh, the same score. Uh, uh, so but those two may be the ones competing for the second uh, promotion spot, but not too far behind is also Dick Roland at six wins and three losses. Uh, so uh, he is also in in contention there for the promotion spots. Uh, and uh, Beijing is at six wins, six losses with uh, in fifth place with one more match played than some of the others. All right. Oh, I, I guess Dick Rowland has played fewer games than many others. So he's actually, he can actually be, yeah, he can be anywhere from first to, uh, from second to fourth, uh, depending on how his game goes. All right. Interesting. So that's the, the pretty detailed league update this week. Uh, if you are an international listener and have no idea what we've been talking about here, uh, we will be doing this a little bit, not this detailed every week, but uh, we hope that you soon uh, create fan clubs and uh, club colors and stuff for the different players and uh, organize uh, trips to Sweden to uh, look at us playing in front of our computers. And vote vote for Zaramis as a favorite. Apparently, there there's this uh, this uh, shady campaign to make me feel pressured. But I have devoted myself to not practicing, to not looking at my opponent's decks, and uh, losing uh, all my following games in sure. order to prove you all wrong. <laughs> yeah, I highly doubt that's what you're planning to do. <laughs> That actually reminds me of something. The best game format I've ever thought up. Uh, so this is an extra uh, section of this uh, podcast because I wasn't planning on saying this. But it's the sabotage format where you each take a really good deck and you set the rules for yourself. So that you always have to play the house with the most uh, cards in combination in your hand and on the board together. What is called delta by some people. No, no delta is... Uh, yeah, well, the amount of cards you can use and the amount of cards you can play yeah, together yeah, is yeah. the delta. Uh, no, the uh, delta is a difference in reap potential on board at any point of originally. And then people have used it a bit differently. But that was the first use of the term very well now it's uh, a term that i use for how many cards can i play plus use of any given house yeah uh, and the goal of the game format is to lose oh uh, so you <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> uh, have to play the house that has the most card uh, like board plus hand and uh, if they are equal you may choose what house to play you have to play all cards in hand, but you can choose the uh, the order of it. And you have to use all cards that can be used, but you can once again choose the order of it. 
So you can choose to fight, you don't have to reap. You can fight. Exactly. You can fight to try to suicide your own things. Uh, and you can fight in very suboptimal orders, suiciding everything into hazardous and so on. Uh, but all cards must be played. So you can start off by playing... Uh, you cannot play the Omega card immediately, for example. You have to try to play as many as possible. But yes, the goal is to be as suboptimal as possible with your great deck that you have. And you, uh, I guess you can play removal cards on your own creatures. Oh yes, oh yes, you can. All the cards have, all the valid plays are valid. <laughs> so you can phalanx strike your own creatures. You can uh, give the opponent Ember if you if you can, and so on. Okay, I, I really want to try this format. It sounds very fun. <laughs> yeah, it's a it's it's a really really fun format, and it's actually quite like. There's quite a lot of skill involved in trying to make as suboptimal and awful turns as possible with the tools at your hand. And I guess also planning for the long-term strategy in that is another level. Uh, like not Exactly. Just... I don't want to draw into these, uh, these and these cards that could steal. So I want to uh, not put my opponent at certain things and so on. I want to help them forge as fast as possible. I know they have a key charge that they need to draw soon, so I will prioritize <laughs> giving them that extra ember. Uh, so have you have playtested this? No. Oh, I have not playtested it. Okay. It's, uh, maybe we will have a grand reveal sometime soon. Okay. But I thought about it a couple of weeks ago, and then I really want to test this because it it speaks to my wonky like. Uh, yeah, the the weird way I like looking at the at the game of trying to really figure out the obscure and odd interactions. So uh, I had a question: Do you, is are there any rules for the deck selection uh, to prevent people from just taking their worst deck or something like that? Uh, well, it would have to either be uh, uh, some kind of uh, reversal way where you try to give the opponent the best deck that you can yeah that works <laughs> so it's reversed reversal you pick the <laughs> best deck they can possibly find in your collection you give it to the opponent so they will have a really hard time losing with it uh other if, if you don't play it like that it would be like uh sas cap of course well then then it would be sas floor maybe yeah exactly yes a sas floor where you need to find the worst deck above a certain SAS level, for example, or 80, or or if you don't have any 80 deck, you need to take your highest. <laughs> or something like that. But I like the reversed reversal. Yeah, it's also a good, I, I, a good I, name I, for the format. <laughs> I like that idea the most as well. Because uh. you can really try to pick like the decks that, that have as few self-destructive, or, or like as many self-destructive uh, things as possible. Uh, and it's funny to uh, see... To me, it feels like it would be funny to see these really good decks played as badly as it can be. It's more fun with good decks than with bad decks, I would e say. Exactly, exactly. Uh, and that's like seeing the kind of reversal feeling, but not having to play them as good as you can. Seeing decks with, you know, triple Rad Penny and three Infernus as purging their own like pennies that finally got discarded through some way. Yeah. You're not allowed to discard them. You have to play them constantly. On the last episode, I said I just opened a deck with four red pennies and three infernus, for example. So A great deck for reversed reversal. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was the, the spontaneous new format section of the Nordic Keyforge podcast. Great. I love this. <laughs> so maybe next week uh, we will come back having played uh, some of these 
our best league decks <laughs> in the format. But now it's time for the main section and uh, we're going to keep it relatively short, but uh, we'll try at least. And we are going to talk about a set retrospective. And it's a little bit inspired by Call of Discovery, who had a Worlds Collide uh, retrospective. Is that correct? Yes, and they call it a very important detail. They call it a set retrospective. A set retrospective, of course. Uh, but we are doing a set retrospective because we're looking at multiple sets. Uh, where we will simply talk a little bit how the different sets of Keyforge has impacted us and how uh, like how we saw them in a more from a more personal perspective. We won't go through lots of individual cards or anything like that, but just uh, looking at our Keyforge history. So, take it away. How how has the uh, five sets of Keyforge on the fifth set of Keyforge the water gave to me a brand <laughs> new tight mechanic yeah <laughs> um uh, yeah i can start with uh, call of the archons for myself uh, so i got into the game with call of the archons not exactly at launch but a couple of months later uh, and i enjoyed call of the archons a lot i started playing i had only two decks and then i had only five decks and i grinded those five decks that i opened on the crucible online a lot and what i really enjoyed in those early days was that everyone was a bad player no one knew what was a good deck and uh, uh, you could really take advantage of this to play with bad decks and still win with good plays so at that point i thought that every there was no good and bad decks Interesting. i definitely do not think that anymore but <laughs> uh, at that point i thought every every deck can be good uh, which is not something I believe now, but <laughs> but the, the the climate at that time lent itself to to me feeling that way because people didn't know how to play, uh, people didn't know what was good, and you could just experiment and play everything and have fun with it, uh, and I enjoyed that a lot. Uh, so that gave me a really strong impression for the game, a strong first impression, mm -hmm. and something that came a bit later was eventually there was a meta where everyone was playing racing decks. And what I enjoyed in this meta was that I was sort of playing a very different style. I had board decks that people, no one else was playing board decks and no one was using board control. So I really enjoyed going against the meta and playing board decks and beating opponents that didn't have a zero board wipe. And I had 20 creatures or 25 cards on the board and I could redraw uh, every turn I could redraw a, a Scrambler Storm or something like that. Uh. Right, yeah, that sounds sounds like a wild uh, wild west of Keyforge there in the early uh, days. How did how did that change for you come going into AOA and so on? So with AOA, um, at the start, I was sort of a defender of AOA. <laughs> Everyone hated it, and I said there could be good decks. I liked cards like uh, Grumpuggy, which we discussed on last week's podcast. And I liked the super speedy logos that was introduced with Worlds Collide, uh, sorry, with, with uh, Age of Ascension. Um, and I, I played quite a lot of Sealed in, in Age of Ascension days. Uh, 
and well, my my perspective was certainly very skewed because my first three decks were super good, fun, and quite good. You have a uncanny way of opening good decks in these sets. Yeah, it's crazy. I understand you more and more of your perspective of why you think that anyone can open good decks because I've heard about your sealed experience. <laughs> but yeah, so my first three decks were quite good, and then the next. 13 decks or however many I opened, they were really bad uh, and not fun. One that was bad and fun. So so I started going into Age of Ascension being very positive and then slowly realizing that no, I had only had, I had only gotten really good decks at the start <laughs> and the set was actually, there was a really high risk of getting decks that didn't do anything. And uh, especially the, when they introduced the Alpha and Omega, it was so easy to get houses where you had several Alpha cards or several Omega cards at common rarity. So you had two uh, two cards that couldn't be played on the same turn, and you had to discard them, and it was just super boring. Yeah, I can I can, I can see that. So so you, how long did it take you? Like were you almost at the Worlds Collide when you felt that kind of slump from from AOA or? How did it proceed? It took almost all that time because I still enjoy playing Age of Ascension sealed, uh, even when I got bad decks. Because Age of Ascension, in my opinion, has very bo- bad board control. Yeah. And I sort of think sealed games are more fun with less board control <laughs> because I think then you can then you need to fight more at the beginning of the game to establish a board. Uh, Okay, you can't. The bad part is if someone gets a high roll and draws five creatures in the starting hand, it's very hard to turn the game around. Yeah. But uh, but if you don't have something like that, then uh, you you need to do more than just reap and play cards. You need to fight for the board. You need to work for the board, and uh, that's something I enjoyed in sealed uh, Age of Ascension. Uh, but then, yeah, towards the end, as I kept getting bad decks, I started to realize, yeah, it's this is not a competitive set. It uh, might be a well-designed set for fun, but not, uh, not, uh, or at least for balance. Maybe not for fun, but for balance. But not, uh, not something you can buy and get very good decks unless you're super lucky. Right. And how did that change in in Worlds Collide for you? So with Worlds Collide, uh, we that was when we had probably the most regular play in Stockholm, uh, in the Stockholm community. So we had. Uh, one event and for part of it two events per week uh, so i played a lot of seed i played a lot of archon and we also had the uh, the grand championship in sweden uh, dur- during the world collide day we had sealed adaptive and i loved world collide from the start i i really loved that finally we started seeing more answers to some of the kinds of decks that were really dominant in Kota. Mm-hmm. Uh, I really enjoyed the theme of the Saurians, the Roman dinosaurs. That's just such a brilliant idea, I think, with the Romans as a, a society in decline, but that don't know it, which is a very nice metaphor for with the dinosaurs that suddenly get a, get a meteor and die out. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Star Alliance also, it's super fun. I enjoyed, I always enjoyed high efficiency decks. So I really enjoyed that with Star Alliance, you had two houses with high efficiency. You could have both Logos and Star Alliance. So you could get some really high efficiency decks, which I know some people 
dislike because they think it takes away skill. But as someone who enjoys playing cards, uh, drawing cards, I think it's fun. Would you say that that uh, was it like coming back to? Was it a good thing that Worlds Collide was so obviously more powerful than than AOA, for example? Like, was it good for the game? I think so, uh, because I think a reason Age of Ascension declined in sales so much over Call of the Archons. Part of it was that it was awful. Yeah, like the average level was awful. Yeah. So part of it was that it was uh, that it was just inevitable that uh, it's not a new idea anymore. So so the second set will have lower sales than the first set when algorithmic decks was new in the first set. But also, I mean, they couldn't compete most of the time. The average deck couldn't compete against the average deck. And uh, people say they don't want power creep. Uh, that's what they say, but in reality, people want power creep because if they don't have decks that can compete with decks from earlier sets, they don't buy new, new decks. Yeah, and this actually, this is very interesting because I like Magnus Amritaka just wrote in uh, one of our Discord chats uh, that um, the game is unsustainable because of that reason. Like, they cannot make more DT-like or AOA-like sets that on an average level isn't stronger than the previous sets. Uh, and maybe they shouldn't either. Maybe power creep is something good in this game yeah. because it either needs to have power creep or it needs to have rotations in some way. I, I agree I agree with that. Uh, and I think I enjoy opening decks from Wells Collide and Mass Mutations that are more... Uh, that are more that where you have an easier time opening a strong deck compared to Kota or Dark Tidings where you can get a really strong deck but the probability is low. Yeah, and I think that I think all of us do because my my experience with the game I'm just going to go through my three first here real quick. Mm-hmm. Uh in Kota I did not like Keyforge. I tried it. I bought a couple of decks. I thought it was boring. Uh because you only played the cards in your hand and it was almost always do I have the answer or do, don't I? And then you just played as many cards as possible. And the board, like it was, sometimes the board did things, but it mostly did things in bad decks. The good decks felt like a, an inevitable freight train of steel and big like board wipes and then draw 15 new cards. And then you're like, that, that's how it felt. It was very few creatures that swung the entire game around. Or that could make a, a a big impact that way for me. Can I ask you a question? Did you ever play against a library access uh, in the Yeah, I played against Lance uh, as well. The game was played and controlled by action cards, and action cards were always played from hand, and you had very little chance to outmaneuver cards that came from hand and had an always effective impact. So I stopped playing very quickly. I tried some sealed AOA, had a lot of fun, uh, and didn't realize how bad the set was until later. But it was I wasn't having enough fun to, to start playing Keyforge. It wasn't until Worge Collide uh, that introduced a gameplay that I liked that felt like I could play for the long game. I could set up boards that were going to do something two turns down. I could protect the creatures from the one board wipe, so people had to play around and not use, like one board wipe didn't solve everything all of a sudden. There came cards that protected against steel better. 
there came more interesting taunt effects where you wouldn't always want to kill them immediately, more hazardous, introduced more interesting ways of archiving as well for me. So Worlds Collide hooked me and Mass Mutation struck it home later. Can I ask you about cards that uh, interact with previous sets? Are you for or against Infernus? I am generally for Infernus. I thought it was absolutely necessary for that card to exist in the game. Yes. I think that the game would die uh, without it. One of us. (laughs) Good to have someone else who feels like that. (laughs) It feels like everyone hates that card. I mean, I also hate the card, but it was necessary. Like, and I, I want it in almost every deck because it was the card that stopped Kuta Rush Steel. Because before that, you either had to have an enormous Saurian board and they you were had to be lucky enough that they didn't have like double board wipe, which many of the best steel decks also had. But decks that just played lots of pips, just there was no way of really handling them unless you were really, really quick with a massive board and get lucky. And yeah, I, I found that, that they were extremely negative for my play enjoyment, much more than be having my deck purged because having the deck purged in, includes a lot more choice than playing four cards with lots of pips and then doing key charge uh, or similar things. So I, I found that Infernus could also stop the hyper-efficient decks that just drew all their cards and played all their pips because you could take out key components of cards, uh, key components of a deck. So yeah, I think I think Infernus and similar purged cards are absolutely necessary and also super awful. <laughs> Maybe they wouldn't be as necessary in decks if Kuta had not existed. If Kuta is rotated out, I think Infernus both loses some of its importance, but also wouldn't be as necessary for the game it's, as a whole. But I'm definitely like, when I saw that card, I was like, yes, now I want to play this game. Now, the decks that inevitably won against almost every deck I pulled finally had a counter, so they couldn't safely bring those decks to the tournaments anymore. And I remember the first time I won with one of my first and also best uh, Worlds Collide decks that had Infernus, Exum, and uh, Saurians that captured a lot. And I sat down against Mikkel in the Swedish in Gothenburg meta, who brought this dust pixie, like the super rushy deck. Mm. And he just looked and was like, where did, where did my ember go? Because he couldn't <laughs> control the board. And, and he just kept producing ember and I kept removing it. And he was probably the first time he met one of those decks as well. And he just looked at it. It's like, why isn't my deck, you know, crushing everything? This deck had won every, like, had gone really well in every store championship in Gothenburg. And it was the first brick wall of Infernus and Saurians that he ran into. Yeah, this player, he was in the online league the first couple of seasons, and he did very well with these Amber Rush decks at that point. Yeah. So yeah, World's Cloud was great. And uh, I know we've already had a long episode here, just the two of us. We thought it would be short because we would just be talking to the two of us, but apparently it's, it's uh, getting long. But I'm also a fan of both Mass Mutation and Dark Tidings. I do think that Dark Tidings introduced many things that I love about as concepts, but would have loved to see them slightly stronger. There are some really wonky and tricky mechanics in DT, and if there had been like one more good common in some of the houses, the set would have kicked ass. And now instead you get that one common that is just below average instead, and it ruins so many decks that you get like three of them or or things like that. Some of my favorite decks to play, 
I've noticed are are uh, DT decks. I've grinded some of them so many times because they are just really wonky and fun and have weird combo potentials. So I think that they experimented with very interesting things in Dark Tidings. How many Dark Tidings decks have you opened so far? A hundred, maybe. So that's a sign you have enjoyed <laughs> playing it, I guess. Yeah, uh, it's the set I enjoy opening the most. Hmm. Uh, I've opened more Mass Mutation, but over a lot longer time. Hmm. Uh, DT had so many cards that I was just like, yes, will this do something great? Oh, I, not in this deck either. Oh, yes, will this... Oh, I love this card. Will this do... No, it doesn't do anything great in this deck either. But the potential is there. And I want to see that potential happen. Mm. How do you feel about them? Like the Mass Mutation and and, uh, and DT? So Mass Mutation was very awkward because I always got all my decks from Sealed or half of my decks from Sealed. And when Mass Mutation came very shortly after, we had the pandemic and we couldn't play Sealed or anything live. So I had sort of the opposite experience from Age of Ascension, where the first few Mass Mutation decks were not super good. And so I was kind of down on the set for quite a while Mm -hmm. until I started looking at the commons and just saying, well, there are so few bad commons in this set. set. I must have just had very bad luck and I should be able to find good decks. And, And I made that analysis and I bought my first display of mass mutation because I basically didn't buy decks for a year while there was a pandemic. But recently I bought a display and I found lots of fun decks in that display. So uh, yeah, it's a deck, it's a set I've come around on. Uh, and uh, I think I was initially down on it because just bad luck, but yeah, lots of fun stuff you can find in it. Uh, one thing I dislike a bit is how Almost every house has good board control. Like it's very clearly a response to Worlds Collide, I feel. Yes, uh, the damage pips and so on. I also thought it was a very clear response. Yeah, and uh, and I always enjoyed playing creature decks. Uh, so I feel like these are not as viable anymore. So I feel like Mass Mutation has made the game less enjoyable for my favorite types of decks. And instead maybe again, open the field a bit for Kota Racing Steel decks. Uh, we discussed this on an earlier episode, I guess. Mm-hmm. But overall, I'm, I've am i come around on that set. For Dark Tidings, I knew from the start there will not be any sealed play, so here I bought a display early on. Uh, I went from my typical principle of trying to get most of my decks from local sealed. Uh, and yeah, I opened the display. I didn't find a single viable deck. I found quite a few that were really fun, but not anything that were good, was good. So I said to myself, okay, I will not buy more displays of this set <laughs> because it's not, not a good return on money in terms of competitive. But what about fun? Yeah, yes, they are very fun. And I would love to play more sealed Dark Tidings because I enjoy opening and playing sealed with wonky fun decks like this. But basically, I I don't have the money or energy to buy lots of decks, uh, go through all of the decks and uh, store all of the decks mm-hmm. just for, I don't know, one in one deck in two displays that, that is useful or something. I want, uh, I, in my opinion, you can find at least one good deck per display of Mass Mutation and Worlds Collide. And I prefer those odds a lot better than 
than the odds of getting something from Dark Tidings. Yeah, and I mean, I opened a lot of Dark Tidings because I, I found it very fun to play. Like, I enjoyed it, and the small, small potential of finding something really good kept me going. I think that that was how I felt uh, about it, because if I found something good in it, it would be the best and funniest deck that, that I had found. And it was. Like, one of the few good decks that I've found in DT is the deck that I've enjoyed playing more than anything else. Unfortunately, it's also a combo deck, which isn't always good for my opponents, but it's a very weird combo deck. I don't know if you've heard about it, but I won't talk about it now here. It's amazing. Okay. <laughs> I guess it's uh, Star Alliance, Unity, or Discord stuff. No, no, it's not. It's a Logos combo that requires, like, five different things to go right. It's not a Genka where you draw one card and then everything works. This requires setup. It requires even some bluffing, and that's I love bluffing card games. Okay. Uh, it requires playing the deck as if you're trying to do one thing, and then, boom, the combo happens, and it just works. Uh-huh. So it's it's not the more obvious library card final analysis? No. Uh, they It includes those two cards. Uh, but there is more to it. Yes. Okay. I've mentioned it in one previous episode. It has the potential of going from zero keys to three keys in a single turn. Okay. Yeah, that's fun for you, at least. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, but... Yeah, I think that uh, that wraps up the very, very short uh, retrospective of our personal uh, experiences of these sets. And it's uh, we'll be also wrapping up uh, the episode. Do we have anything to tell our viewers? Uh, may, maybe talk a little bit about the coming season of uh, the Nordic Keyforge League. Because we're recruiting right now uh, for the next season, season 14, taking in interested people. Uh, and the competitive format of the Nordic Keyforge League is, according to me at least, the best competitive format that I've played in Keyforge by far. I have so much more fun there that I've, yeah, I've, I've gravitated more and more to see that as the, the most competitive Keyforge that you can play from a skill and, and like outthinking and bluffing and, uh, yeah ban baiting and it has so much depth that I if you're listening to this you should know that as long as you can arrange times on the European times and then you commit to that uh, you should be welcome to play with us if you're in European time zones you definitely are yeah so uh, join our discord and join the Nordic Keyforge League we're taking interested people right now and I think one piece of news we can say is that we discussed a side cup earlier, that we always have a side cup for for the league. And the side cup for next season has the format decided now, and it's uh, triad. Oh, yes. It's a triad with ban of, of Genka, ban of Heart of the Forest, and also you cannot use any of your league decks in it. Actually, I, I think banning Heart of the Forest, I usually don't support banning banning cards, but Heart of the Forest, especially in live play, is really toxic in Triad. <laughs> yep, you have to ban it if you can't. If you don't bring the right kind of deck, you have to ban that deck, and then it means that they, just play, they get to play their two best ones. Because otherwise, if you leave it in, if the other player wins the first, if the Heart of the Forest player wins the first game, then they can just stall out the second game and they have a 1-0 win. So it's like... That as well. So it's like you can really game the system with that. So for Triad, no bueno with, with Heart of the Forest. So, yeah. All right. 
I think that's it. Thank you so much uh, for listening to the Nordic Keyforge podcast. I am uh, Zaramis, Simon, and uh, with me... I'm Hydrophilic Attack. Have a good night, everyone. All right. Nordic Keyforge podcast out. Bye.